Matthew chapter 16 this morning. It's right where you all knew we were going, huh? Matthew 16. Now, we are in Thessalonians, but we got hung up. We got hung up big time, and I believe it's of the Lord. Yesterday, we looked at the church. Today, we're going to look upon at the rock upon which Christ will build his church, Matthew 16. As this relates to the church and to understanding the church, and this builds the context for the entire book of First Thessalonians and also of Second Thessalonians. Um, once we get into the Thessalonians, by the way, this is going to deal with some with the catching away of the church in Second Thessalonians. Once we get there, all of this is um, hinging on what what the church is, where the church is. Who is the church? If you have a misunderstanding about the church, you will not be able to get very far in a proper understanding of the Word of God. So 1 Thessalonians, as you're turning to Matthew 16, 18, said, um, 1 Thessalonians 1, 1, Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, welcome back to Bible time. Let's read Matthew 16, verse 18. Let's back up just a little bit. Well, we'll do that in a minute. Let's just read that verse. And I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we pray right now, agreeing, Father, asking you to bind the strong man, bind the wicked one, Lord, who has um, locked our minds and our hearts in lies and blinded us, Father, from seeing the light. We pray, Lord God, that you would loose us to the truth, loose your understanding, loose the power of your Holy Spirit to work in our lives, and let thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, Lord. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Now here in Matthew 16, it begins, verse 1, The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came, and tempting desired him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, ye say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and lowering. O ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. And he left them and departed. And when his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, why reason ye among yourselves, because ye have brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand, neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? Neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, and how many baskets ye took up? How is it that ye do not understand that I spake it not to you concerning bread, that ye should beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? Then understood they how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So here the context to this whole discussion leading up to Christ's declaration of the rock here in Matthew 16, 18, the whole context here is the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees who were demanding a sign of Christ, tempting him 
And Christ then warning his disciples to beware of that leaven, which they understood then to be the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees. And today, as we look at this, uh, may God's truth shine through all of the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees that's out there regarding this scripture. So when Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, whom do men say that I the Son of Man am. And this question is worthy of a whole sermon in and of itself. Just this one question could be preached on and could be the basis for many sermons. Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? This is going to set apart all the religions and all the faiths of the world. Um, this, this divides the sheep from the goats right here. Um, whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. So here he gave, they gave him... Three examples of ideas that people had about Christ, and then one general example. Three exact examples, and then one general examples, but four different concepts about who Jesus Christ was. And four is often in the Bible, points to the world, the four corners of the earth, the four winds of heaven. The Bible talks about all those things as the four directions, north, south, east, west. And here you have the world. When the world deals with Jesus Christ, when the world has to come to grips with who Jesus Christ is, they come up with all kinds of ideas. I'm commonly confronted by people um, out on the street or at their door who will say to me, well, I believe this. I have my own beliefs. Um, I'm pretty set in my ways. I have my own ideas about things. I just stick to my religion. I just stick to what I believe. And, but their belief is not based on the word of God. And whenever I ask them what the authority for their belief is, they stand there and look at me like I'm from another planet. Authority, I have to have authority for what I believe. I have to have some basis upon which I believe. Now, if you go to a university and you try and write a doctoral thesis, they will require that you have authority. They will require that you source everything that you write. Now, I mentioned the other day how we've gone overboard and it doesn't matter anymore in this nation whether or not what you say in your thesis has any spark of truth or reality in it whatsoever, as long as you source it from some other guy that got a degree from that university or one that they recognize, they're okay with it. And they don't really care about the content. And that's gone um, to an extreme and placing faith and trust and truth in the hands of men instead of God. And that deals with authority as well. But even in our messed up culture, we understand the need for authority. Even though we have a misplaced authority in this culture and we have moved from the word of God as the authority for everything, for life and for everything. By the way, America was founded on the principles of authority in the word of God and the word of God was cited as the authority for which we as it were formed as a nation. It's the authority upon which the Constitution rests. People are, are fighting to try and restore constitutional rights, fighting social battles and social wars to try and restore constitutional um, values and constitutional freedoms and rights in America. But what they have failed to understand that that was is that the very authority upon which the Constitution of the United States was said to rest is the Word of God. And once you take away the Word of God, the foundation for the Constitution has been taken away. And as the Word of God says... If the foundation be destroyed, what can the righteous do? So you're fighting the wrong battle. If you're out there fighting for constitutional restoration, you need to drop that battle because you're never going to win that one until you get back to the word of God. And you need to start fighting the battle for the word of God as the authority for every part and every aspect of life. Get in on that battle because that's the foundational battle. That's where it's all at. Now, the authority here... 
the authority for your doctrine, the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees is that their authority came from themselves. They cited their own teachers. They cited their rabbis. They cited the Talmud. They cited all of these extra works that they had. And over the years, they had become corrupt. They had added to and taken away from God's word. And they were no longer basing their beliefs and their life on the word of God, but rather on the teachings and doctrines of men. And that was the doctrine of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. And Jesus asked them, whom do men say that I am? We, we were saying there about how that the world, the four um, four answers were given here and how that the world has all of its opinions about Christ, but no authority to base those opinions on. So here they were and they have Four answers, and he saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Whom say ye that I am? He and Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Now Simon Barjona is the name, his Hebrew name that reflects his father, Barjona, son of Jonah. Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee. So here's a contrast. Simon Barjona means flesh and blood. He's dealing with Peter's flesh and blood, and he's he's exhibiting for us here. He's contrasting for us here the fact that Simon is flesh and blood, but that the truth that just came out of Simon's mouth is not that which can be revealed by flesh and blood. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Father, in Jesus' name, help us again, I pray. Just have mercy on us and teach us today through your word. Bind Satan and drive him back, we pray, and open our understanding and loose us, Lord, from our false ideas and false suppositions and help us to rightly divide your word and get the proper biblical interpretation of your word. You said, Father, there's no private interpretation of your word. We ask you, Lord, to help us find the one and true interpretation of your word in Jesus name. Amen. Now the authority, the authority that we talked about is absolutely essential here as we try to rightly divide this scripture. Whenever Jesus Christ said, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Christ was fully aware that this passage would be misused and taught in a manner that would enhance and give authority to the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees by the scribes and Pharisees. Jesus often taught things that would be a stumbling block. Do you remember whenever Jesus went into the temple and they said to him, um, they talked about the temple, they said, what sign givest thou us that we do these, that thou doest? these things and he said that was when he drove out the, the money changers out of the temple they said what signs showest thou us that thou doest these things and he said destroy this temple destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Now when Jesus Christ said that, they all immediately jumped to the conclusion in the context of where they were at in the temple and the fact that they were talking to Christ about him driving the people out of the temple, they immediately jumped to the conclusion that this was the temple. And if you could see Jesus standing there in the temple the way they imagined him doing it, 
you would, and this is one of the reasons, by the way, that all of these movies and cartoons about Christ are so destructive because um, you get into all of these things and they give body language and gestures to Christ that the Bible doesn't give and they can completely redefine everything that Christ said and his doctrine with body language and gestures. And if you don't believe that's true, I don't know how to help you. But here, if you could see a video reproduction of this, um, according to their understanding of what he was saying, here's Jesus Christ standing in the temple, and you can see him spreading his arms out wide and beckoning them to look at all the stones of the temple. And as his hand sweeps across the giant stones of the wall, he says, destroy this temple. That's what they saw, but that's not what Jesus did and not what Jesus meant by what he said and the bible gives us the interpretation the true interpretation of what jesus said even though contextually in that case contextually in the in the moment in the immediate context that the temple that jesus was talking about was herod's temple in jerusalem yet the bible is adamant and clear that jesus spake this concerning the temple of his body now that is something, that's something that God alone has the prerogative to do. I do not have the prerogative to reassign context in the scriptures at will. But Jesus Christ is the living word and he gets to tell us what the context is. Does that make sense? Jesus Christ is the one who gives the context. He's the one who sets the context and we are not at liberty to change it at will. Now, if we look at this text here and the plain reading is absolutely necessary to understanding. He, and I say unto thee, comma, that thou art Peter, comma, and upon this rock, I will build my church, semicolon, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, period. End of the sentence. When we look at this here, the word thou and the word thee is a singular word. Now, all these people that talk about how the these and the thou shouldn't be in a Bible are ignorant of the reality that if you take these and thous and the yees and the yous out and you replace it all with you, you will lose information and have an incomplete translation of the Bible. And that is what has happened um, all across this land. People have settled for incomplete translations of the Bible for the sake of so called easier reading. So they say the Bible in modern English, and then they eliminate truth from the Bible and cut scripture out of the Bible and cut out vital and critical meaning from the Bible in the name of plain English. And that is actually a deception and a lie. If you are sacrificing meaning in order to get your easy read translation, you no longer have a translation. You have an edited and abridged copy of a translation if it is even a translation anymore at all. And we don't have time to get into that a whole lot right now, but we do get into that in other podcasts. So here he says, thou art Peter, singular. This is absolutely undeniably talking to Peter. And this you can, in a way, see Christ pointing a finger directly at Peter and saying, thou art Peter. Thou art Peter. He doesn't mean the disciples. He doesn't mean the group of um, apostles. He doesn't mean anyone else. He's, he means exactly what he says here. Thou art Peter. And then he says, and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, we see this here, that the plain reading of the text appears that Jesus Christ is talking about Peter. But let's, what does the Bible say? We're going to look at what the Bible says. And I want to be very careful here because I do not want to reinterpret the Bible. But I want to see what the Bible says about the rock that Christ builds his church on. And we can compare other scriptures so that we can get a biblical understanding of what Christ was pointing at at what point in his discussion. Because what we have here is the perfectly preserved, literal exact 
inspired word of almighty God, but it does not include a lot of other details. Like for example, whether Jesus's eyes were open or shut, which way his head was turned, whether his hand raised or lowered, whether he stepped forward or stepped back, sat down, turned sideways. A lot of those things are not included and we must rely on other witnesses in scripture in order to rightly divide the word of truth. Whenever you are standing next to somebody, you can hear the tone of their voice. You can see what their eyes are looking at. You can see the direction their body's going. You can learn, you can tell if they're aggressive or passive by their body language. We do not have that unless it's explicitly noted in the Bible. In some cases it is, but for the most part, it is not. And that leaves us with a, a great disadvantage in understanding the Bible unless we take a biblical principle given to us in the word of God that in the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And that is a Bible principle. Write it down as a law in your heart that in the mouth of two or three witnesses let every word be established. This will keep you out of pitfalls. This will keep you out of snares of the devil. If you read a Bible passage, you'll say, oh wow, that means this. But then you keep reading and you find another Bible passage that contradicts your understanding of that first verse. You have not found a contradiction in the Bible. You have found a contradiction in your own fallible understanding of the word of God. So we must take the mouth of two or three witnesses to establish a word and Bible doctrine must be built upon the mouth of two or three witnesses and it must not contradict listen this is a law of underst of rightly dividing the word of God if you would know what the Bible says the word of God never contradicts itself if you want to understand the Bible you must find the biblical the biblically based understanding of the text using other scriptures to support it and prove that it does not contradict other Bible doctrine. Do you hear me today? If your idea of what a verse says contradicts clear doctrine in the scripture, your idea is wrong. And I say that with love in my heart, and I say that as gently as I can say it, but I say that as emphatically and as authoritatively as I can. If your idea about a scripture contradicts clear biblical doctrine, clear scriptures in the word of God, then your idea is wrong. And it doesn't matter who said it, who agrees with you, how many people agree with you, how old your church organization is that disagrees with me. If I'm right, it doesn't matter. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And it doesn't matter how many people get on board and go along with what is right or don't go along with it. Right is still right and right in the Bible is found when we find one or when we find two or three agreeing witnesses and compare the truth with the whole counsel of God from the start to the end and say does this but does my understanding come in conflict with any other area of scripture and once you have ironed it out not making the Bible say what you want it to say but finding what the Bible actually says then you will arrive at the actual, real, right interpretation of Scripture. Whom do men say that I am, said Jesus. Oh, some say Elias, some say Jeremiah, some some other prophet, some John the Baptist. Everybody's got opinions. That's true. Everybody's entitled to their own opinion. That is not true when it comes to the Bible. Nobody is entitled to their own opinion when it comes to the Bible. Not me, the nobody of the nobodies, not Pope Francis or Pope Innocent, not Billy Graham, not anybody that ever lived. No one alive is entitled to their own opinion about the Bible. The Bible is truth. 
The word of God is truth and it stands alone and it stands as truth whether you or your church or your party or your organization or your club or anybody else disagrees with it. If the poor disagree with it, the Bible's true. If the rich disagree with it, the Bible's true. If the mighty disagree with it, the Bible's true. If the weak disagree with it, the Bible's true. The Bible's truth. The Bible's truth. The Bible's truth. The Bible is truth. The word of God. That's what we must base everything on. That is our authority. Without that, you have no authority. You are completely reliant on the words of men. Now, uh, let's dig into this. So I say unto the, also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, when, he, when Christ here said, and I say also unto thee, Christ is answering Peter's answer. So in our text here, Simon Barjona had just said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus here says, and I say unto you, or I say unto thee, I'm sorry, which is the singular. He had just said, flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And he's about to give Peter an incredible promise in verse 19. And that incredible promise has incredible power. And as a precursor, as something, as a, as a, oh, the word escapes me that I'm looking for. It as a prerequisite to the power that he is about to endue to Peter, he is going to make an, a powerful statement. He says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter and upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee again, that singular word and directing that directly at Peter. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here Christ points out when he says thou art Peter. He points out the absolute weakness and unprofitableness and carnality of the man standing before him. The man. Did you catch that word? He's pointing out, Peter, you say thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter, I say thou art Peter. Do you hear me today? What is he saying? That Peter, you just said, I'm God in the flesh, and I, God in the flesh, am saying, you're just Peter. And he didn't say just, but that was the idea of what he's saying. Thou art Peter. Do you copy that? Are you following along? He says, Peter, you said I'm the son of God, and I, the son of God, am saying to you that God in heaven told you that, and you're just Peter. Thou art Peter. Thou art Peter, your flesh. You're just the fisherman. Now, God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, had called Peter Cephas whenever he first met him and made him a disciple. And Cephas means a stone. So here, Cephas could have been used by Christ because Christ is saying, upon this rock I will build my church. So Jesus could have said... And listen, some of you guys, I know you're like, what's the big deal? This will be a big deal to you someday. This is a big deal. This is a powerful declaration by Christ and an extreme passing of authority from Christ to a single man. And if we misunderstand what Christ did here, we are set up for a fall. We need to get it right. I don't care who thinks what about it. I just want to know what the Bible says about it. How about you? Let's find out what the Bible says about it. Jesus could have said, Cephas, thou art Cephas. If he would have said, thou art Cephas, then that would have meant, wait a second, you're more than a man, you're a rock, you're a stone. But no, he said, you're Peter. And Peter was that naked fisherman that had to girt his coat about him and jump into the water. Peter was that man who had cursed and who would curse and deny Christ. Three times he would deny Christ before the cock crowed. Before the cock crowed twice, to be specific. 
that Peter is the humanity. Peter is the carnality. Peter is the weakness. Peter is the flesh. And if the church is built upon Peter, then the church would be carnal. The church would be weak. The church would be fleshly. There had to be more to it than just the man Peter. And there is. So let's look at that here. Let's look at what the Bible says about the rock. Let's go to the most clear scripture first, and you can shut this off if you don't like it, and the rest of us can go on and study the Bible. Um, But I hope you'll stick with it. So 1 Corinthians 10, I hope I told you to turn there. 1 Corinthians 10. We're going to look at verse 4, but I'll read the context as you're turning there. Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant how that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So this is talking about the children of Israel going through the Red Sea with the cloud over them. And remember the cloud that would go by day and the fire by night? Who remembers that? I want to see some hands. Are you with me? Okay. So here they, in the cloud and in the sea, verse three, and did all eat the same spiritual meat, which was the manna in the wilderness, which John six, Jesus Christ said he is the manna that came down in the wilderness. Verse four, and did all drink the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock. Now the rock was the rock that Moses smote. Who remembers that? He smote the rock and water came out, remember? And then another time, God told him to speak to the rock, and he smote it, and God would not let him into Canaan land because of his disobedience. Do you remember that? So they, who remembers? All right, so they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them with a capital R. Now, rock is not usually a name. But here it absolutely emphatically is, so it's capitalized. That spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So here, the name rock, and I understand here in Matthew 16, 18, the the word rock is not capitalized, and that is significant. But here in 1 Corinthians 10, that rock, the Bible says, was Christ. That rock was Christ. Go to Deuteronomy 32. Deuteronomy 32, quickly. I want you to remember that the Bible emphatically and clearly said of the rock in the wilderness, that rock was Christ. Deuteronomy 32, verse 4. This is the song of Moses, which God commanded to be written. It's God's song that God told Moses to write, so it's called the song of Moses. It is inspired by God, and it will be sung in the in the ages to come in heaven. The book of Revelation says that the saints in glory will sing the song of Moses, and of the lamb now here in the song of moses in verse 32 um, let's look at verse or verse 3 chapter 32 verse 3 because i will publish the name of the lord ascribe ye greatness unto our god he is the rock Now, so far, that's two witnesses that God Almighty goes by the rock. He is the rock. His work is perfect for all his ways are judgment, a God of truth and without iniquity, just and right is he. Now, we could go off on a study of the rock. We don't have time to. There's some amazing facts about the rock. You can go all through the Bible. We're just going to check a couple more verses about the rock today so that we can stay within our time constraints. Um, he is the rock his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a god of truth and without iniquity just and right is he now that does not describe peter Um, without iniquity a god of truth just and right is he his ways his work is perfect for all his ways are judgment a god of truth and without iniquity just and right is he now look at verse 15 but jeshurun waxed fat and kicked that's israel thou art waxen fat thou art grown thick thou art covered with fatness then he forsook god which made him and lightly esteemed the rock of his salvation they provoked him to jealousy with strange gods with abominations 
provoked him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. So here he says, you have, you got off the rock. You got off the rock and you got a new rock and you got a new God. When you missed the rock and you applied the authority and the power and the, and the, um, and all of the blessing and privilege of the rock to the wrong rock, you got the wrong rock, you lightly esteemed the rock of your salvation, then you provoked him to jealousy, he said to Israel, with strange gods, with abominations, provoked they him to anger. They sacrificed unto devils, not unto God. And this is what happens whenever you get the wrong rock for your church. Do you hear me today? Whenever your church is built on a man, on a man, and his carnality on a man in his fleshliness when your rock is a man you're going to sacrifice to devils it's there's no other way for it to happen and it holds true absolutely true in our day and age there's no group out there that says that peter is the rock upon which the church is built that is not equally provoking god to jealousy with strange gods idols in their churches false words worship, Mariology, praying to saints. They provoke him with abominations. They provoke him to anger. They sacrifice unto devils, not to God, to gods whom they knew not, to new gods that came newly up, whom your fathers feared not. And in verse 18, of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Not that God didn't form them, not that Christ did not begin them, but that they strayed from God because they were unmindful of the rock that formed them. They got off the rock and they got on to the man and they began to follow man instead of God and became unmindful of the rock that formed them. In 1 Samuel 2, 2, um, Hannah there is praying and she says, neither is there any rock like our God. And that's, a, that's an extremely important text and we've got to turn there. Go to 1 Samuel quickly. I want you to see this. Now in Deuteronomy 32, in Deuteronomy 32, there's a capital R in every use of rock. And some of you are probably ready to string me up because you feel like I'm taking this, uh, <coughs> like I'm totally missing it. But I just ask you to bear with me and keep reading the Bible. Uh, 1 Samuel 2 and verse 2, there is none holy as the Lord, for there is none beside thee, speaking to God, neither is there any rock like our God with a lowercase r. Neither is there any rock like our God. There's no substitute. There's no lowercase r rock like our God. There's no one that can step in. There's no one that can take the place of our God. There's no one that can be a sure foundation like our God, our rock. God is our rock. Neither is there any rock like our God. Go to 1 Corinthians and chapter 3. Father, help us today to rightly divide the word of truth. I want to get it right, Lord. I don't want to mess it up. Please help me. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 1. Well, we're just going to jump um, right down to verse 11. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is... Does it say Simon Peter there? Somebody help me. What does it say? I don't hear you. Jesus Christ. Thank you very much. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. And then he goes on and speaks of building upon this foundation. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, everyone's work shall be, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day shall declare it. 
Now, here in our text, Matthew um, 16, 18, go back there. It says, and I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. I want, I submit to you with the evidence of scripture that when Jesus Christ said this, just as he stood in the temple and said, destroy this temple. And everyone thought that because of the direct, immediate context, he was talking about the temple of his body, and they missed it, and the scriptures will help us to understand and rightly divide that it was the temple of his body. Even so, here in this passage, when Jesus said, Thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, that Jesus was not saying that the rock was Peter, Peter, but that Jesus Christ here was saying that he himself was the rock and that Peter was just Peter and that God had revealed to Peter an incredible truth that Jesus is the son of God. Blessed art thou Simon Barjona for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, just a man, and upon this rock, the Son of God, Jesus Christ the righteous, I will build my church. Not Peter will build my church, not Paul will build my church. I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And then he gives Peter this wonderful, incredible promise. Why would he say thou art Peter, and upon this rock? and not mean Peter was the rock. This is why he says here to Peter, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now if he is giving Peter to bind on earth and that which Peter binds on earth will be bound in heaven and he is giving Peter loosing power on earth and that which Peter looses on earth will be loosed in heaven then before he says that he must predicate that with the reality and the fact that Jesus Christ alone is the authority and the foundation for the church because otherwise people would venerate Peter above that which is meat and above that which is right and would set up the carnal man Peter upon a pedestal and then begin to follow after the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees and a ascribed to man that which can only be ascribed to God and fall into error. So here Jesus Christ gives us this, sta- this statement upon this rock I will build my church. You say why would Jesus do that? Isn't that duplicitous? Again in the temple he said destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up and they said forty and eight years was this temple and building and wilt thou raise it up in three days and Jesus did not explain it to them because Jesus said he spoke to them in parables that seeing they might not see and hearing they might not hear because and we won't even get into all that we don't have time but Jesus often spoke things in parables and he left it to those who were willing to dig and those who were willing to search the scriptures as he said to the said to the Jews he said search the scriptures for in them ye think ye have eternal life but they are they which testify of me and I say to you today in all of your religions and I hope that maybe this will reach the heart and the ears of someone who is entangled in one of these lies of the devil and one of these lying religions who have exalted men and are full of the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees and maybe be loosed from the deception that holds them even through this message that would be my one of my greatest desires in this next to the glorification of Jesus Christ now um, this rock is Christ. Remember 1 Corinthians 10.4, that rock was Christ. Deuteronomy 32, he is the rock. 1 Samuel 2.2, 2, neither is there any rock like our God. 1 Corinthians 3, no other foundation can any man lay. I challenge you today, show me scripture that clearly supports any other interpretation of this passage of scripture and I will change and I will publicly change and recant 
can't what I am teaching here. But unless you can show me scripture in the 66 books of the authorized version Bible that can, will alter this, I will not recant this. No private interpretation is allowed here. Now let's allow Peter himself to add to this. Uh, we have looked at 1 Corinthians. We've looked at 1 Samuel. We've looked at Deuteronomy. Now let's listen to Peter himself and his commentary about the rock. Never in the rest of scripture will you find Peter claiming to be the rock upon which the church is built. In fact, you'll find the opposite. Go to Acts 4. Acts chapter 4. If you have a desire for truth, it's right here. It's the Bible, and that's what we're studying. And I hope that you do have that desire today. And I hope you will continue to listen and to study the Word of God and be loosed from the demonic power of hell that holds you to a false church built upon a fleshly man. It says here in Acts chapter 4, um, Peter here is preaching to the Sanhedrin, the scribes and Pharisees present. And it says here, um, look at this in verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which is become the head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved this is the stone says Peter this is the stone and the stone then as the rock you say oh you're stretching things go to first Peter chapter 2 go to first Peter chapter 2 and read the words of the apostle Peter Read the words of the Apostle Peter who, who warned us that in the last days grievous wolves would enter in not sparing the flock. False prophets bringing in privily, bringing in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and said that many shall follow their pernicious ways. 1 Peter chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. Here he says... Tells them, wherefore laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, which is the doctrine of the scribes and Pharisees, the leaven of it, by the way. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. If so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone. Coming unto Jesus Christ the Lord. This is who he is exalting here. And he says you've come unto him. If so be you've tasted that the Lord is gracious as coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men but chosen of God and precious ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ wherefore also it is contained in the scripture behold I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone elect precious and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded now why is Peter Peter preaching about this twice. Peter has some of the least to say of in the word of God compared to some of the prophets, compared to the apostle Paul, even compared to John who wrote the by inspiration of the Holy Ghost the entire book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and the Gospel of John, and yet Peter, who Jesus Christ said he would give the keys to the kingdom of heaven to, has so little to write in the Bible, and when he does write it, it's with such humility. And he says things like Paul whose writings are scripture. He says these are hard to understand as unstable men rest as they do also other scriptures to their own destruction. 
And here Peter preaches that the, that the rock is Christ. He says, wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, behold, I lay in Sinai a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. This is the exact thing he preached to the Sanhedrin. Unto you, therefore, which ye believe, he is precious, but unto them which, ye, which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. Do you see it right there in First Peter? Do you see it? Do you see it? First Peter chapter 2. And a stone of stumbling, verse 8. And a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word being disobedient. And why are you stumbling today out there whenever you want to try and claim that the rock that the church is built on is a man? You're stumbling. Why? Because you are disobedient to the gospel. You have not submitted yourself to the righteousness of Christ. Instead, you look for the righteousness of works, the righteousness of a church, the righteousness of an organization, the righteousness that comes through the law. You have fallen to the doctrine of the scribes and the Pharisees, the leaven of the scribes and Pharisees, and you will come short of the glory of God, and he will say, depart from me, ye that work iniquity, I never knew you. You have another rock, and neither is there any rock like our God. He says to these, but ye are a chosen generation, these upon the rock, Jesus Christ, the headstone of the corner. Ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy." This is the rock. That rock was Christ. Go back to Matthew 16. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now verse 19. This is the promise that Jesus Christ gave Peter. That he predicated with the statement that he himself is the rock upon which he himself will build his own church upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it now I want you to understand there as well the gates of hell cannot attack you He's not saying that you will stand there while the gates of hell launch their attack in fury against you. He's saying that the gates of hell will not withstand his church. They will not be able to hold up their defensive attempt to hold back the gospel. That the very gates of hell will be burst asunder by the truth, uh, by the truth that Jesus Christ will send out through his church. He says in 19, by the way, what do you use keys for? To unlock something. What did Jesus just mention that needed use of keys? The gates of what? The gates of hell. So here he says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee. Here is the blessing. You, if you apply the rock blessing to Peter, you miss the whole thing. The authority that gave Peter. Christ, the ability to bless Peter with binding and loosing power and the keys of heaven. <clears throat> Uh, the keys of the kingdom of heaven in verse 19 is based on the foundation, the only foundation that can be laid, Jesus Christ, the chief cornerstone. If you misapply the rock, you lose the authority for verse 19 to even exist. Do you hear me today? Upon the authority that Jesus Christ is the rock, he gives to Peter here the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And the keys of the kingdom of heaven unlock the gates of hell. Hallelujah. Jesus Christ said, when a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are at peace. But when a stronger than he shall come he sh and binds him, he can spoil his goods. Forgive my rough memory of that. Look it up 
and study it out. But it says that Jesus said, the strong man must be bound and his goods spoiled. And what is he promising Peter? The keys to the kingdom of heaven. And Peter stood up in Acts chapter 2 with the key of the kingdom of heaven, number one, to the Jews. The gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Gentile. We've got Bible for everything we believe. Hallelujah. We're not looking to dogmas. We're not looking to doctrines. We're not looking to teachings. We're not looking to musty old books written by men that can change over time. We've got the word of God. Hallelujah. Key number one. He said, I will give unto you the, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not you, the, specifically to Peter. I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Key number one to the Jew, Acts chapter two. Hallelujah. Where Peter stood up with the 11 and he, or, um, and he preached the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Jews received the gospel and the church was born. And then in Acts chapter 10, it was Peter again, specifically. It wasn't Paul. It wasn't Bartholomew. It wasn't Nathaniel. It was Peter, just like Jesus said it would be in Matthew 16 and verse 19. And Peter went to Cornelius' house. And while Peter was speaking the gospel, the Holy Ghost fell upon the Gentiles. And the church realized that unto them also is granted repentance unto life. And God used Peter. He gave him two keys. He said, keys, the keys of the kingdom of heaven, not the key. And he gave him the key to the Jew. And he gave him the key to the Gentile. And the gospel is to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, not on the name of Peter, not on the name of a man, not on the name of Mary, not on a saint, not on a denomination. Hallelujah. But on the name of the risen Lord Jesus Christ, who died for our sins, according to the scriptures, was buried and rose again the third day hallelujah and he said to peter i will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatsoever thou shalt bind singular thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven this promise was given in the singular these and thou's matter This promise was given to one man. One man. And there is no place in Scripture where there is any possible succession of this power to any other one man. It doesn't exist. You think you find it? Shoot me an email and we'll talk about it. And we'll see. We'll look at Scripture and compare Scripture to Scripture. I dare you to find a verse you can even try to apply to say that that promise succeeded. It was given to thou, Peter. He couldn't be more specific. Simon Barjona. Thou, Peter. And he gave him the promise. Now I want you to turn to Matthew 18 as we close. In Matthew 18, there is a succession of the binding and loosing, and we'll see who it's given to. (coughs) Here, there is no succession of the keys. Peter used the keys, and the gates are open. If somebody thinks that they hold the keys to the kingdom of heaven today, it's because they have tried to shut up the gates of the kingdom of heaven to you. Do you hear me today? Somebody tries to claim that they have the keys to the kingdom of heaven today. There's only one reason to be sitting there holding the keys. It's because you think you shut the gates. And therefore, you think you have the right to open them. And both of those are false. Jesus Christ sent Peter on the day of Pentecost. And then he sent him down to Cornelius' house. And the keys were used. And the gates of hell are open today. You can get out of hell free. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And thou shalt be saved. You don't have to go to hell. And you don't have to go... You don't have to go through a church. And in fact, you can't go through a church to get out of hell. You've got to go through Jesus Christ. 
Matthew 18, here he says um, in um, verse 15, moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go tell him his fault. Verse 16, if he will not hear thee, take one or two more. Verse 17, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. Lowercase c, again. The church um, means the called out assembly. We've talked about that. The individual believers, literal believers in the literal word of God who have become born again by the power of God and are gathered in the name and power of the Lord Jesus. It's just a gathering. It's not an organization at all. It says here, if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. Verse 18, verily I say unto you, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth. Wait, 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 wait. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth. Is that what it says? What does it say? Ye. Ye is plural. Ye has to do with a collective. Ye has to do with an assembly. Ye has to do with a body of people gathered together. And here the church, which is the body of Christ, believers in the word of God, believers in the gospel of Jesus Christ, gathered in the name and the power of the Lord Jesus. He says, ye, whatsoever ye shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever ye shall loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And in case you didn't get what he meant by this, And just in case you might want to give this power to an organization or some kind of presbytery or some kind of um, college of cardinals or some kind of giant group of denominational headquarters people, he says here again I say unto you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name there am I in the midst of them and again in my name implies with it under the authority and operating in the authority of Jesus Christ Almighty which is only possible with an obedient submission to the word of God so here are two or three gathered in my name he says there am I in the midst of them and he says that whatever those two or three bind will be bound and whatever those two or three loose will be loosed and that power has been carried forward and has succeeded Peter the one man who ever had it as an individual and there hasn't been another and there won't be another and it has been passed on to a general gathering of any two or three Bible believing blood bought born again Christians hallelujah say amen well that was weak I'll say it. Amen. 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 Hallelujah. This authority has has succeeded. Do you know what this means? This means that the same promise given to Peter of binding and loosing extends to the two or three gathered in his name. That means Peter has no more authority to bind and loose than two old widows in a prayer meeting. You get your two least esteemed widows. Maybe they're not even literate, can't even read, don't have any teeth left, can't talk intelligently about anything. You don't even think their minds are there and they bow their knees in a prayer meeting and they're sitting there together agreeing in prayer with the power that Jesus Christ promised Peter. Do you hear me today? When the Bible says you are complete in Christ, it is not kidding. God isn't making a joke. Two old widows in a prayer meeting meeting there have the same power to bind and loose as Peter and Peter had no more authority to bind and loose than two old widows gathered in the name of Jesus Christ. Both are true. And if you think that's an insult to Peter, he didn't think so. He didn't think so. He taught the church similarly. The keys have opened the gates. 
that job is done. It doesn't need to carry forward. There's no point in it carrying forward. That job is done, and the foundation is still here. You want to talk about the succession of this promise to any other man. The rock wasn't Peter to begin with. That rock is Christ, and he doesn't need a successor, young man. Because Jesus Christ ever liveth to make intercession for us. We don't need some high priest sitting up in the Vatican to open doors for us into heaven. We don't need him to intercede for us. We don't need anything he's got because we've got Jesus Christ. We don't need a denominational president. We don't need a council of churches. We don't need any of that to get us into heaven. All we need is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And those people who gather in his name are the church. Bless his holy name.